everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 153 of the John Riley Project. And today we're going to be talking San Diego Padre baseball with my special guest, David Leland. How you doing, Dave? Good. How about you? Doing great. You know, we're at the midway point of the season. The Padres have gotten off to a great start. They've had a great week. And man, you contacted me, want to do this sort of mid-season review uh, this is going to be a really fun conversation. Yeah, I mean, what's not fun about an 18 and 12 team at the halfway point? Yes, 600 winning percentage. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's all right, right there, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's what you think. So you say they're saying every game's worth 2.7 games because 60 times 2.7 is 162. So that translates over this full season, the full 60 games to 36 games. 36 plus 36 gets you to, what, 72? Yeah. And then 72 plus 36 gets you to 108, but obviously it's not all the way there because it's not three times. So gets you in like the, what, high 90s over a full season? Yeah. I mean, normally a 90-win season is a guaranteed playoff team. Um, So fantastic. What a great start. Yeah, it is a great start. And first thing I want to get out of the way is that you got to give a lot of credit to Jace Tingler, and let's put that whole 3-0 swinging, let's put all that behind us. I mean, I think it was blown yeah. way out of proportion. I think there was a clear miscommunication that he it was about him missing the sign, not necessarily, oh, he hit a home run that put us up too many runs. It was because he missed the sign. And everyone was like, oh, this is going to destroy the clubhouse. We're done. I mean, no, no, no. They won six straight <laughs> since then, you know. These guys love playing for him. You can tell that new attitude's there. And I said on the season preview he was going to struggle with the bullpen in the beginning because, you know, he didn't have a real spring training as a rookie manager to figure that out. But over the weekend, I thought he did a pretty good job with the bullpen. I thought he might have taken Strom out too early on Friday night. But Saturday, he was great letting Davies go deep. Sunday, he was terrific. He just pushed all the right buttons with the bullpen. And he's getting better with that. The players like playing for him. They got a new approach offensively. They're, you know, not chasing everything. They're trying to get on base. They're getting hits with people on base. And Jace Tingler deserves a lot of credit. And honestly, he might have to be National League Manager of the Year. He could be. I mean, I I love his postgame press conferences because – he has like a really good energy. You can tell he's trying to pick everyone up. He's trying to have a lot of positivity. Um, he's always backing his guys. Um, I think that one moment at the presser after Tatis's grand slam might have been maybe a rookie mistake by a manager, but it was oh, yeah, yeah. way and out of proportion. His old team with his buddies over there, so didn't want to offend them. You know, that, yeah. was, that was just a weird deal. It was. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it was his old buddies didn't want to show up as his, his colleagues, respected friends. So I give him a little bit of slack, but there's no way the, the team is going to turn on him for making that comment. It, no, I and on the bus back to the hotel, him and Tatis had a great talk. They were like, and it was like, nothing happened. I mean, it was no big deal. <laughs> he missed the sign. Yeah. They talked about it. Tingler's like, Hey, I'm actually glad he missed the sign. We moved on. No big deal. Exactly. I mean, that was blown way out of proportion. Like people were saying to fire Tingler just for that. I mean, oh. that was blown way out of proportion. So what's your take on that whole unwritten rule? I mean, here's the way I see it. And I'm just going to say it this way. You can never have enough 
runs. <laughs> That's right. Um, last last year, we were at the game against the Rockies in Denver. We were down eleven to four after seven innings, seven runs, the exact number of runs that we were beating Texas by before the grand slam by Tatis. We won the game sixteen to twelve in twelve innings. You can never have enough runs in Major League Baseball. Especially with uh, the Padre bullpen back then. They were struggling. Oh, my God. And um, the hypocrisy of this all is hilarious. Because <laughs> last May in Kansas City, Chris Woodward and his Texas Rangers had a 12-1 to lead. The Royals pitched a position player. They scored four runs off of Chris Owings, a utility player for Kansas City, to win the game 16-1. to did Chris Woodward say anything when they scored four runs on a position player to go up 16 to one? Nope. Where was he on that? Where was he on that? Yeah. Yeah. That was something. And do you think Woodward gave instructions to the Ranger pitcher to throw at Machado? Oh, absolutely. That was ridiculous. And the, his comments out of the game gave it away. So that pitcher should blame Woodward for his three game suspension because those post-game comments gave away that it was on purpose. Yeah, that was something. Um, but, man, that that grand slam just ignited the Padres. They just had a fantastic week. I mean, they just knocked out the whole state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., man, I, I, I can't I, – I don't have enough things to say about him. He's just too good. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Well, Tingler, remember he was said in the press conferences that we're just lucky that he grew up in the Dominican Republic to play baseball because he could be a FIFA World Cup, you know, talent. He could be an NBA point guard. He could be a four by four relay guy in the Olympics. He's that much of a, as he said, a freak. And did he say he could be a number one wide receiver in the NFL? Yeah, that was the other one he said, and he's right. And not only is it, are we lucky that he's playing baseball, but we're also lucky that he's on the Padres. I mean, oh, this, this is the this most never happened we've had since Tony Gwynn. No, oh, yeah. no talented player since Tony Gwynn. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, all due respect to Tony Gwynn. I mean, Fernando Tatis is a very different kind of player. Um, so uh, it's just it's always the other teams that that get the, um, you know, the Mike Trouts or the Derek Jeters or the all these other superstars. And now suddenly the Padres have one of those electric players. It's just I know. I mean, and he's got to be National League MVP right now, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, that's a cinch. Yeah. And I was just reading is that if he won it, he would be the youngest player ever to win the MVP. Ever? Ever. I guess. Wow. So apparently Vita Blue was um, the MVP when he was in his uh, age 21 season, but he turned 22 in the middle of the season. And so Uh Vita Blue won the MVP. And I guess that was when he was with the A's. Um, but then Tatis is going to be 21 all the way through the season. He hasn't turned 22, I think, until after January 1st. January 2nd of 2021 is when he turns 22. So there you go. Yeah, he could be the youngest MVP in the history of baseball. Yeah, I mean, that's just hard for me to think of that way because I think of all the times that um, Pujols finished second to a Barry Bonds, which one of them, I believe, was his rookie year. And Pujols was like a 21-year-old rookie, so... <laughs> Pujols's age has always been in question, right? Um, not as much as other Dominican 
players, but some people think he's actually like two years older than he actually is. Because I think he's 40 right now. Is that right? He's listed as 40, and I think that's pretty legit. I mean, it's not like these other dudes who have fake names and they're actually four years older than they actually are. Yeah. Like, you remember um, Vasto Carmona on the Cleveland Indians in 2007? It turns out his real name is Roberto Hernandez, and he's like two or three years older than he actually is. Well, it reminds me of, um, what was his name, Danny Almonte, that, that was the Little League pitcher that was actually 14 years old. And um, he ended up like they played, I think it was Oceanside Little League in um, in in uh, in the Little League World Series and knocked him out. And that kid was two years older than everyone else. Same thing, you know? Yeah. It's fake birth certificates. So, I mean, you know, Tatis has got to be the MVP. I mean, he's just incredible. And we got to do whatever it takes to sign him long term. I mean. You're, you hear so much about how much money teams are losing this year because of the pandemic, but I think 2021, and we'll get into why I think 2021, it'll bounce right back. We'll get into that a little later. So hopefully, you know, I mean, the way the team's playing, I mean, and their advertising tickets are 2021 on the bottom line of every game. You got to yeah. think that's building up demand for 2021. <laughs> but you think it's probably in Tatis's interest to wait a little bit longer to – even blossom more to become a player that can get even a bigger contract. Cause we all know that he's got a lot of headroom, a lot of potential growth. Um, I mean, so yeah. That, and that's fine by me. Cause yeah, he'll get more expensive, but at the same time, you know, if he waits a year or two, I mean, right now teams are just guessing that things are going to go back to normal. And I mean, I think they will, but a year or two, you'll have that confirmation. Okay. It happened. We're good. I mean, although having said that, I don't think the Dodgers are giving Mookie Betts that contract they gave him if they don't think things are going to be back to normal in 2021. Right. Like, if if you're thinking, you know, we're going to have these same kind of problems, you know, if you're thinking there might not be fans or, you know, there might be only like 30% capacity in 2021, that might hurt our revenues even more. If you're thinking that, you're not giving out that kind of contract the Dodgers gave Mookie Betts. You hear me? Right. And he got that contract, was it during the COVID um, era, right? It was after the virus broke, correct? Yeah, it was it was right before opening day. So, yeah, it was after it broke. So it was after – so, you know, it was after – it was in July. So it wasn't like, you know, they gave it to him, you know – in March when people thought this might just be a two month thing, you know, Oh, it was July. So they gave it to him in July after you hear all these things about, you know, whatever, you know? So point is, if they don't think 2021 beyond is going to be like pre COVID, which I think it will, we'll get into that a little bit later. I don't think the Dodgers giving Mookie Betts that kind of deal. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, or else it'll turn out to be the worst business decision of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you see, um, Stan Kasten is a big time businessman. He's uh, the head of the Dodgers ownership group, I believe. So mm-hmm. he ain't giving out that kind of deal if he doesn't think that he's going to have, you know, that that big money coming in from, you know, 50,000 people at Dodger Stadium 81 nights a year next year. 
Hey, um, I just want to just quickly, Dave, you don't mind, I just give a shout out to everyone that's watching us on this live stream. You know, we're live streaming to both Facebook and YouTube. Enter your questions here, and I'm sure our Padre expert, David Leland, would be happy to answer them for you. So we'll see if any of the questions pop up. But Dave, what else do you have to say about the Padres? What are some of these um, other thoughts you have on the first half of the season so far? Well, I mean, we haven't had a rookie of the year since 1987, but Jake Cronenworth might have something to say about that, huh? And we talk about he was like a throw in in that deal and he's turned out to be just a gem. Oh, he's amazing. I mean. Now, is he going to hit 360 all year? No, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit too, but he can he's a good player. You know, he makes contact, doesn't strike out. He understands the strike zone. He's got, you know, he's not a slugger, but he can hit the ball in the gap, you know. He's an athlete. Mm-hmm. He can play, you know, all four infield positions adequately or better. I mean, you saw that leaping catch he made at first base. Oh yeah. Tremendous. On that line drive by was it Muncie or Jock Peterson? Whoever it was hit that line drive and he went, what might've been Corey Seager. He went way out there and got it. You know, it's interesting because there's, there's a time when, when the Padres have their defense set up where they actually have four shortstops on the field. I mean, if you count Cronenworth, Tatis, Machado and Profar. Oh, I know. That's like, that's amazing to have four shortstops on the field at the same time. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not a Jerickson Profar guy. I mean, he just <laughs> doesn't, you know, do it for me. He seems like, you know, a Tingler and Preller favorite from Texas that just mm-hmm. never lived up to the potential besides 2018. And it seems like they were kind of clinging to some hope he could be like 2018, but I don't see it. But, yeah, he, he's been terrific. Um, sometimes I wish he was a switch hitter, you know, so we can play him against both lefties and righties. But he, he, he's he been in the lineup against left-handed pitching. I mean, he should be in there at second base every single day. There no exceptions. You know, put him at short if um, Tatis needs a DH day third, if Mandy needs a DH day first, if Hosmer needs a DH day. But Jake Cronenworth's got to be in that lineup every single day. Unbelievable. What a great guy. Great story, too. And we still haven't seen him pitch. So maybe we'll get a take a look at that next year. I mean, he's probably better than half our bullpen right now. <laughs> You're probably right. So anyways, um, Machado, you know, got off to a slow start, but he's been red hot lately. One National League Player of the Week, two clutch home runs. You know, that was the big criticism of him was it's, since we signed him last year, he wasn't getting, you know, that home run in a tie game, you know, in the eighth inning that we saw yesterday or that walk-off grand slam we saw against Texas on Wednesday. I mean, he wasn't getting those big hits in the late innings last year, and that was kind of a criticism of him besides the stats that were pretty pedestrian for a guy who got $300 million, although still not bad by any means. Man, it's supposed to start this year, but he's really heating up, and I think he's going to prove the way he's been going to work, be worth every penny of that $300 million. Well, he's been steadily climbing the statistics charts for third baseman. I've been kind of following that because he was, you know, out of the 30 teams, he was like 25th at one point, but he's now like fifth or sixth best third baseman in all of major. I mean, his OPS is 890, which is fantastic. I mean, over 900, you're really, really good. And he's at 890 right now. So, right. So he's in a good spot and I think he's going to continue to improve as well. Yeah. I mean, Hosmer's come up with some big home runs. Um, seems like he's really dedicated himself to hitting the ball, you know, 
in the air in more. The air. I'm not, you know, one of those say I'm not a sabermetric nerd. I'm not like, oh, I'm not obsessed with launch angle and ground ball rate, but Hosmer gets into a frustrating habit of hitting just so many ground balls to second base, but he's dedicating himself to hitting the ball in the air more. And, you know, he's a guy, you know, when he hits the ball on the line or in the air, you know, it can get frequently in gaps and over fences. So to see him hit less ground balls, he's great. It's been fantastic. Yeah. His play so, discipline's way better. The defense is back. I mean, I like what I've seen out of Hosmer. So you, do you ever get the sense that, Remember, like the second half of last year, and they all kind of gave up on Andy Green. Oh, I am now. I am def, I am one of the biggest supporters of that theory. <laughs> and I, th- I think it makes sense. You know, we've talked about it in a previous podcast, but now it seems like the energy is different. You know, with Cronenworth and Tatis playing at an exceptional level, and the starting pitching being so good, and and you know. Grisham and everybody else, it just brings everyone up. And then that's the next thing I want to get into. That trade with Milwaukee is looking really good. How about Trent Grisham? Yeah, love that guy. He is, I love watching him play defense in center field because he's so nonchalant cool, but he gets the job done. He's he's great. How about I'm putting up the number of home runs every time, too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I love that. So at some point, though, he's going to run out of digits on his hands. What is he going to go like when he hits his 11th or something like that? I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. But I like, I like that. I mean, you know, it's just – and I love that Tingler put him in the leadoff spot because Trent Grisham is the modern-day leadoff hitter. He walks. He's got speed. He's got pop. He is the modern-day leadoff hitter. So I love seeing him in the number one hole. And, you know, he's on base when Tatis, you know, hits that gap or hits that moonshot. And I love it. And he can hit three home runs in a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he, he's been tremendous. And he was like one of those guys, I think, with Milwaukee that had this potential but just never quite had the right opportunity. Correct. So, yeah, he, he's been great. And and then, yeah, Zach Davies. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, he's been eight innings. He went eight innings, saved our bullpen. And, I mean, you can say, well, we won that game 11-2. to two. If Zach Davies doesn't go eight innings on Saturday, we lose on Sunday. I think you're right. Because our bullpen, if he only goes, you know, five innings, we have to use a bunch of guys on Saturday, don't have them Sunday, we lose that game on Sunday. I, I I completely agree. I mean, he gave the, the bullpen a day off, but isn't he just fun to watch? You know, I mean, it's it's one thing to see the 100 mile an hour fastballs from Lamette, but Davies just can, you know, kind of bob and weave and hit his spots. He's a um, throwback guy. He really is. Um, and it's he's refreshing to watch. I mean, not that I don't love, you know, seeing Lamette, you know, throw 99 on the corner and then throw that wicked slider, you know, pat it, get a guy to chase a 95 mile an hour high fastball, then throw one of those dirty changeups down away. But <laughs> it's refreshing to see a throwback guy, you know, mix up his speeds, you know, get guys to beat a three hopper to shortstop. And I'm sure Randy Jones loves it watching the games at home. Oh, you know, he does. Um, but yeah, he he's just fun to watch. And he's so like, unassuming looking he just looks like a normal dude not like a stud professional athlete i know but hey he gets the job done that trade's looking great i mean lauer was terrible for milwaukee they sent him down to the alternate site i saw that um and that that's a shame because he's a good guy i mean Um, yeah but i mean with lauer i wasn't sad to see him go because 
We talk about how Davies saved our bullpen on Saturday to give us the ability to win that game on Sunday. Eric Lauer did the opposite. Eric Lauer was always at 105 pitches with one out in the fifth inning because he was always nibbling. You're right. He never went deep into games. Even when he would you know, only give up like one, two, or three runs, he never went deep into games. Right. Yeah, he was like a five-inning guy. Um, so That's just yeah, not good was, enough. No, it's not. I mean, because, you know, you want your starters to go at least six, you know, ideally seven innings and then, you know, then serve it up to like two or three guys for the, the bullpen to finish it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, and Urias, you know, people are like, oh, my God, look what we gave up when he got off that hot start. He's like one for his last 15. You know, he's not hitting for any power. His OPS is barely over 700. I mean, so far we killed him on that trade. Oh, yeah. No question about it. But we'll see how Urias develops. I mean, he still has a lot of upside. Um, so hopefully, you know, I'm, I I'm think kind of rooting Urias for him. is that I was excited about him through 2017 after he had the year where he won the California League batting title in 2016 at Lake Elsinore. And then 2017, back when our double A was still, excuse me, San Antonio, you know, mm-hmm. he had, you know, he was like the youngest guy down there, and he had like a almost a 400 on base, I think. But after that, you know, he when he went to El Paso, he started selling out for more power and kind of took his upside, kind of went down. He started striking out more, which you saw in the MLB. You know, he didn't have that bat speed. And they said he was this great defensive second baseman, yet every close game he made a critical error against the Dodgers, and we lost. So right. I just never saw the potential with Arias had questions about the maturity and the attitude. I mean, because he was stubborn about going back to what worked at Elsinore and San Antonio. You saw that. Have you ever seen the picture of that little blow up he had in the dugout with um, Tatis in San Francisco last April? Yeah, I remember something about that. Refresh my memory. Where he was like, I don't know if he was like yelling at, you know, uh, who was our first base coach? Oh, Schumacher last year was our first base coach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if he was yelling at the first base umpire or shoot, going to disagree with Schumacher, but he was like yelling at somebody, and Tatis had to hold him back, like, dude, calm down. Yeah, yeah. I, and remember, Tatis is supposed to be the younger one, you know, and he's being the more mature, like, hey, calm down kind of guy, you know, and Tatis was the baby. He was 20 last year. Yeah, I mean, Tatis is mature beyond his years. I think mean, that kid's just so impressive. I mean, we can make this whole thing about how amazing Fernando Tatis Jr. is, and I don't think anybody would complain. No, I mean, well, first of all, I agree 100% with what you said about Urias and having Cronenworth instead of Urias. I mean, geez, well, that's, that's another thing. Cronenworth yeah. is better than Urias. Yeah, it's not even close, but yeah. And I mean, then you Tatis. got DJ Abrams coming up. Yeah, and that's what I'm he's, he's scheduled to maybe be up in 2021, right? Well, the thing about C.J. Abrams is that the whole COVID canceling the minor leagues this year is like, we don't really know. I mean, he's playing inter-squads at USD, but we don't really know with him. I mean, we thought he was going to be at Fort Wayne or maybe Elsinore this year and then go up to Amarillo and then maybe El Paso in 21, maybe come up at the end of the year next year. Now, who knows? Who knows? Everything's gone sideways. The whole world is upside down. Who knows? Um, I mean, yeah. I would imagine he'd probably go to Fort Wayne next year just because you think you'd send him to the lower of the two levels, you know, from not facing, you know, people from other organizations this year. But I don't know. That, that's in, that's a weird one. 
Yeah, something else. Um, you know, the Padres, like they said, waves of talent, and they're going to get to a point where they're going to have to make some tough decisions. But you got trade chips. They can flip them for, you know, maybe a, a stud pitcher or uh, maybe upgrade the catcher position. So we'll see. The interesting thing about Cronenworth, too, is that another thing is when we got him, I wonder if the Padres um, knew how good he was. Like they scouted him and knew he was this good. Because I remember seeing, because this was about a week after we made the trade with Milwaukee, and Ryan Phillips on Twitter, this is when I was still on Twitter, at Rumors and Rants, you know, he's got connections in the Padres front office. He was mm-hmm. saying a lot of the reason that the Padres were willing to do this with Urias is they like Xavier Edwards, who was in that fam Renfro trade w- right. that we got Cronworth, Xavier Edwards. So I wonder if our scouts specifically saw Cronworth and was like, this guy is going to be good. Trust us. And so far, so great. But maybe you think maybe they overhyped. Um, uh, what's, what was the guy's, oh, what was his name? Xavier. What did you say? Xavier Edwards. Yeah. Xavier Edwards. Maybe they okay, overhyped Edwards. Yeah. And then maybe they overhyped him, increase his uh, value. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, flip them for Cronenworth. I mean, it's a fabulous, uh, you know, a fabulous move as a deal maker. Yeah. And Keller is really doing his job. Bell saying that about Edwards on um, Twitch it will never be not funny to me. <laughs> so I, mean, else, I, mean, what, what um, I mean, I was I was pretty done with him and you know this, but Will Myers, he's Looks like a new guy this year. It's just kind of stealthy. You know, he, he's getting it done under the radar, um, hitting for power. I think he's hitting over 280. He's got hitting for average. His OPS has been, you know, up and down right at the 1,000 mark. Sometimes I up, think it's sometimes about below. 920 now, maybe 930, somewhere yeah. in the low 900s. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I know it's really good. The thing about Will Myers to me is we knew the talent was there. It was – it was up here and he looks, you know, like more focused, like he cares again. And you just see, like, we talk about the attitude change. You look at Will Myers, you know, I haven't seen him smile this much or have this much fun. Yeah. Ever as a Padre. That's right. Well, I think Tangler and his coaching staff completely changed him. Um, yeah, we talked about that in the preseason, didn't we? We were saying that maybe Tingler could be the Will Myers whisperer. Um, I mean, you could even in spring training, like you could tell these guys has attention because one of the last games that was on Fox Sports San Diego before the um, before the pandemic hit, um, it was against the White Sox, and they were doing an in-game interview with Wayne Kirby from the dugout. Wayne Kirby hollered at him; he heard him right away. Right on. I think this coaching yeah. staff really has got Will, you know, he's they got him right up here and they got him to, you know, have fun. I mean, yeah. the guy hated Andy Green. We know that. He said so on Twitch or whatever it was streaming. I think it was Twitch. Yeah, so it, it's been fun to see him. And then they, they bat him sometimes sixth or even seventh. So See, that's good for him. You know, he he can just have fun, be himself down there. I mean, you know, we've talked about before. I mean, 
when he had that big first half, everyone's like, oh, this guy's, you know, the future of the Padres, and, you know, they got to extend him, you know, when he had that big first half in 2016. But, I mean, then you had Matt Kemp was the big name in the first half that year, pretty much name only at that point, but still, big name. You know, Melvin Upton Jr. was a guy who had been around the block who had a successful first half this year, and – you know, Fernando Rodney had an area of zero, and all the talk is because we were rebuilding then was, you know, are these guys are trade trips. So, but so Myers, you know, in his big first half, that amazing June he had in 2016 was almost a footnote to, you know, these guys that had trade value or supposed trade value that we were, or in Kemp's case, that we were just trying to get off our hands. Mm hmm. So Myers' success was almost a footnote that year in the first half. You know, then he struggled in the second half. I think. Some of that had to do with Kemp and Upton were gone, and, you know, all the focus was on, all right, well, it's on you now. They give him the contract, you know, two days after the Chargers relocate to L.A. So it's like, all right, you're the guy for sports in this city. Forget just the Padres. Right. And, I mean, that probably hurt him. And then you think, you know, you sign Hosmer and Machado back back offseason. You're, like, moving him down lower on the totem pole, you know. But, you know, still all the talk about his contract and then – you know, but then they move him down the order this year, and you go, you got Tatis emerging as a superstar. You got Grisham's been good. Cronenworth's been a big story. You know, it's just so people aren't talking about him, and he's thriving in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great situation for him. It's and, a perfect uh, situation for Will Myers. I mean, yeah. with other guys stealing the spotlight and this coaching staff getting him right up here. It was, it's the perfect situation for him. Yeah. So he's thriving, which is wonderful to see. And then, um, yeah, we talk about Grisham and center and then left field has sort of been, uh, you know, a revolving door. Well, fam, I, I think fam was never himself. I think he's probably damaged goods that we got from Tampa Bay. He just didn't look right. You know, that entire time. And then, you know, now he's done for the year with the hand. I mean, yeah, I just don't think he was ever himself. And, I mean, if you're going to put Profar out there every day, please just call it Taylor Trammell. I don't even care if he's ready or not. That Luis Patino's not ready. We're throwing him out there out of the bullpen. Bring mm-hmm. Trammell up. I am, I'm sick of seeing Jerks and Profar in left field every day. Bring Trammell up. Let's see what he's got. Well, Profar will tease you for a while. You know, he'll get on base. He'll show a little bit of power. And then he goes right back to hitting like 185. And, yeah, I mean, uh, he had that. Um, He got on base a couple times one of the last games in Arizona. He hit a couple home runs against Texas, took a couple walks, got a hit here and there. And you're like, you know, maybe there's some of this guy. And then he just doesn't do anything the next couple games after that. I, I don't want to see him anymore. Bring up Taylor Trammell. I don't care if he's ready or not. I said before the season, hey, let's see what we got in guys this year, you know, this fluke weird season. I mean, and then fam goes down. That should be a perfect opportunity to bring up Taylor Trammell, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. Um, so we'll see what what they do the second half. I mean, because if they can't keep a guy hitting 200 starting every day in left field. No. They're gonna and that's part of the field. reason why I think, you know, as fun as this win streak's been, I think people need to temper the expectations a little bit. Like, I don't think this is a championship contender. I mean, I think what you saw this last week is the best you're going to see of the team all year. I mean, what they're doing is kind of unsustainable. I mean, they're winning so many games, like, by one or two runs in the late innings. Like, and I got the stat here. 
They've played nine games that have been decided by one or two runs or been decided by them scoring a crooked number once it got to extra innings. They're six and three in those nine games. That seems a little unsustainable. And not only that, we've played a ridiculously easy schedule so far. 20 of our 30 games are against sub 500 teams. And you look at the other, the 10 against teams winning records. I mean, the seven games against the Dodgers, you know, when we faced Bueller, he was still kind of finding finding his footing after I think he was injured when in the summer camp. And he was still kind of finding his footing. You know, they didn't have Mookie in those three games here. They didn't have Seager, I believe, three of the games in L.A. And we didn't face Kershaw in any of those seven games. You know, he's had our number in his career. And he looks like the Kershaw of old this year so far. So, and we haven't seen him. So we got a little lucky there. So, We've gotten pretty lucky against the Dodgers in terms of that, and we're still only three and four against them in those seven games. And then the other three against teams over 500 were these last three against Houston. I mean, and look how depleted they are. I mean, Brantley only played the last game. Bregman was out the entire series. Verlander's out maybe for the season. Jordan Alvarez is out for the season. They got multiple relievers down. Houston is really depleted, and I think they're – over 500 record is simply a product of the AOS being terrible. I mean, Texas is terrible, and that was four of our wins, and three of them were close games. We walked the tightrope. So, I mean, they can probably get away with that for most of the rest of the schedule, although they are going to cool off just because literally everybody in the lineup's hot right now except Pro Far. So, and that's, that's just not sustainable. I mean, is Cronenworth good? Yeah. Is he going to hit 360? No. Um, is Fernando Tatis amazing? Yeah, but is he going to keep up this pace? That would be 80 home runs over 162 games? No. <laughs> right. Is Machado going to cool back off a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I'll probably say I'll just go with 34 and 26, probably finish second in the West. I'll get you the four seed. I mean, although we would have made it even with normal playoffs, but now this is expanded playoffs, so we'll get the five seed, which would be the next best team and I think that's going to be St. Louis Cardinals I mean Goldschmidt looks like the Goldschmidt of old which is scary you know but best of three postseason matchup not only because the Cardinals have had our number in the postseason before you know 96 05 2006 when they went on to win the World Series 2006 I was at game one of that division series when Poole said that bomb off PV oh jeez <laughs> and um so anyways, St. Louis has had our number in the postseason before. Yeah, and it's a best of three in that first round, the one eight two seven three six four five. That's a best of three. And, you know, they got Jack Flaherty. You know, that's one of the best young pitchers in baseball. So you see Flaherty game one. You know, they got John Gant and Giovanni Gallegos at the end of the game out of the bullpen. So you, you fall behind. You know, you lose to Flaherty. You fall behind. You got to win two straight. And – you know, with Goldie looking like the Goldie of old, you know, Tommy Edmonds a good player. You know, Matt Carpenter can still give you something. Paul DeYoung's good. You know, they got Dylan Carlson, a nice young outfielder. I mean, that's just – so, you're, you you hence, like I said, St. Lu- our tracker against St. Louis in the postseason is bad enough as is. And if you fall behind, you know, you lose to Flaherty game one, boom, you got to win two straight or you're done. And they got a really good bullpen, you know. They got goalie who's hitting like the goalie of old. They got some other solid players around the diamond. I mean, I really don't like um, our matchup against St. Louis in the first round, which I think it will be. I mean, so might, you, they could steal that, though, might win around. But then who do you face in the division series? The Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. Not a championship contender this year, but 
That's okay. I mean, this is just the beginning. We got so much more coming. These guys are going to get better and better, you know, over a full season. You know, when we get a healthy bullpen, remember, no Jose Castillo, no Andres Munoz, you know. Unfortunately, Kirby looks like he's thrown his last pitch as a Padre. You know, Pomeranz is down now, and I just don't have a good feeling about that injury. It just feels like one of those injuries where it's like we're not – It's they say it's not that bad at first, and then you – he misses a couple weeks. You're like, what's going on? Still don't hear anything. Next thing you know, they say he's out for the season. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like that for Palmer. It's really a shame because he was looking really, really good. Yes. Yeah, he was. He was looking fantastic. It's just a shame. So hopefully it's temporary because we need him, um, you know, because we've been a little bit of duct tape and bailing wire lately, but yeah. getting it done, the, the bullpen. But I want to go back to a point you made earlier. You you had said that the first half of the season, we played a lot of, you know, it was an easy schedule. But when before the season started, I thought we assumed that the first half was going to be a tough schedule. See, that's funny. The half was going to be easier. If you remember um, when we did the season preview, I said that we got a bad break because I thought the ALS was tough in the AL Central. And if there had been no COVID, no pandemic, you know, we just things went as expected normal. You know, we and we played 162. We will play the AL Central, which I thought was going to be the worst division in baseball. I mean, the t- Detroit still stinks, but the White Sox have come along much better than I thought they would. Yes, that's right. I mean, Kansas City's record's bad, but again, this is, you know, but that's with Brad Keller, their best starting pitcher, missed a couple starts because of COVID. Hunter Dozier, one of their better hitters, missed time because of COVID. So, and remember, this is no COVID. So, if we had to face, you know, Kansas City, the White Sox, and, you know, Minnesota and Cleveland are still good, that would have been actually a lot tougher draw than what we got. Because you look at the AOS, the Angels are playing terrible. Seattle's terrible. Mm -hmm. Um Texas, we just saw, they're not very good. The Astros are depleted. Oakland's good, and that's going to be a tough matchup for us when we go to the Oakland Coliseum Labor Day weekend because those guys are good. I agree. So, yeah, I think maybe we thought the first half was going to be difficult, but maybe it turned out to be not as tough. Um, But still, all those divisional games against – you know, the the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and, of course, the Dodgers. The NL West has got to be the best division in baseball, right? I mean, the fact that the Giants don't totally stink just makes it automatic. The Giants are in third place right now. The Giants would be the seventh seed in the playoffs if the season ended today. Yeah. At least coming into today. That might have changed, but... They're on a nice run, um, so good for them. And that Yaskrimski kid, oh, my God. Carl Yaskrimski's uh, grandson, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Mike Yaskrimski. I mean, tremendous. here's the thing with um, San Francisco. It's like we tried to tell you guys that you needed to play younger players and not trade for washed-up veterans. We tried telling you guys when the last you know two and a half years when you were living your delusions, trading for these washed-up veterans – you know, to try and live in the past, you know, those three and five that you had in the first half of the 2010s. We tried to tell you all, go younger, give these young guys a chance. You, They kept trading for washed up veterans. It didn't work. They play the young guys this year, and look, they look like they got something going, you know, long term mm-hmm. at least. I mean, this year, I mean, they're still just a 500 team. You know, they're playing a crappy AL West, you know. They're not playing any of – the, you know, they're not playing, you know, Atlanta and the NL East. They're not playing, you know, St. Louis and Chicago and the Central. I mean, so they're playing, you know, an easier schedule. But, I mean, 
they look better the long-term outlook than they did the previous three years. We tried to tell them that they were living in delusions and should have played younger players. And well, look at now. Look now, I'm more. I'm still not worried about them long-term because I love our team long-term. But I think I still don't think they're much of a threat to us or the Dodgers long-term. But they're going to be tougher to play, you know, for us and the Dodgers than I thought they were going to be in these next couple of years. Well, the Giants will always have a lot of resources um, and they just brought up their um, their prize prospect. I think his name's Joey Bart. Yeah, the catcher, the catcher. from Georgia Tech. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see how he plays. And then when Posey comes back next season, you know, who's going to catch? Who, who well, I mean, is gonna... if you're the Giants, I think you got to hope that um, the designated hitter sticks around so you can, you know, get Bart at bats as the DH or and switch him and Posey when Posey needs rest. So if you're San Francisco, you should probably hope for the DH next yeah. year. And as a Padre fan, I'm hoping for it because I think Tommy Pham's pretty much damaged goods at this point. So, and we're still have him under contract next year. So I want to have that DH so that we can have that for Tommy Pham next year because mm-hmm. it looks like he's going to need it. Yeah. I mean, I I think we are going to see the DH now, you know, continued. Um, We'll see it next year. Uh, But if not next year, certainly with the new collective bargaining agreement in 2022. No doubt about it. Um, but I'm like you, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for Tommy Pham. I just love everything about his character, his his persona, um, his attitude. And I just was loving that deal. And so I, I want I need some of my Tommy Pham. So I well, even if he doesn't do anything, we still won the trade. I mean, Cronenworth's raking and Renfro's numbers are horrible in Tampa Bay. So we won that trade no matter what happens with Tommy Pham, in my opinion. Do, do you? There, there are still some people that think that Preller needs to be fired. Um, what's your take on that? I don't understand how anybody can think that after these last 30 games. Yeah, I agree. Because these, this 60-game season, you know, like I said, ceiling's probably NLDS exit, and that's only if, you know, Comrades comes back and our bullpen gets together. And even then, our ceiling's probably only an NLDS exit, but – this team has some really good players, and this is just the beginning. So if you want A.J. Preller fired now, I don't know what to tell you because you haven't even seen Mackenzie Gore yet. You haven't even seen C.J. Abrams yet. You haven't even seen Ryan Weathers yet. You haven't even seen much of Patino. They just used him for like two innings at a time. Yeah. If you want A.J. Preller still fired now, I don't know what to tell you. That just still makes no sense to me. I mean, obviously, some deals didn't work. Other deals have really worked. But the Padres organization is in the best place it's been in at least 20 years, you know, in terms of how it's set up for the future. Well, I think this is the best they've ever been set up long term because you look at the 1998 team that was set up to go all in for 1998. They knew 1999 that team was going to start going downhill. That 1998 team was all about 1998. What you see here is you see a team that's just scratching the surface this year, and this is about 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. I could, this is about the entire 2020s. Wow. Could the could the hex be broken? Could the San Diego sports curse finally be reversed? Yeah, and I mean 
that's another thing. Like, if you get the championship this year, which they won't, I don't think they will, but wouldn't it be the most San Diego thing ever, you know, in a pandemic, you know, no fans in the stadiums? Are we even going to be allowed to have a parade if it happens? Wouldn't that be the most San Diego thing ever? Completely. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you, you go around and say, yeah, we want a championship. They go, ah, that season doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And I was joking about this last night. I was thinking, you know, cause the Dodgers, honestly, I think the Dodgers look pretty unbeatable, especially if they get Lance Lynn, because the, what killed, and we, I know we always say this about the Dodgers in the regular season and then something goes wrong in the world series. Although one of those years they were cheated by Houston, but true. But what always was the Dodgers undoing was, the bullpen, either indirectly or indirectly, whether it was somebody in the bullpen blew a lead or they got their bullpen got outpitched by another bullpen extra innings, like against St. Louis in 2013, the NLCS, we're just going through all the years. The St. Louis bullpen outpitched him in game one. St. Louis won in 13 innings. That set the tone for that series. 2014, they played St. Louis in the division series. You know, Mattingly stuck with Kershaw too long twice because he didn't trust the bullpen. You know, 2015, you know, the Mets just had their little run. You know, that's whatever. Mm-hmm. 2016, the Cubs, they were destined. Okay. 2017, you know, they got cheated. 2018 against Boston, their bullpen blew multiple games of that World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boston won in five games. You're like, oh, what's the difference? I mean, the Dodgers' bullpen blew a game at Fenway, and they blew game four when they could have tied the series at Dodger Stadium. And the Red Sox weren't going to have Sale, you know, because he had that thing with his elbow. They weren't going to have him past game five. So that could have changed that series. And then, you know, last year they didn't trust Jansen. So they left Joe Kelly in there. He gave up the grand slam to Kendrick and extra innings in game five against Washington. Yes. So either directly or indirectly, the Dodgers bullpen was why they fell short in October. But now their bullpen looks really good. Well, first of all, I'm I'm playing my little tiny violin right now, you know, just weeping for the Dodgers struggles. Um, But uh, yeah, their bullpen looks amazing. Um, That Dustin May kid, the starter is unbelievable. And they've got some other uh, relievers that can throw just like him. I know. And it's, that's the thing. And and this is where I was going with this. I was saying, you know, we have a situation on our hands where, you know, Dodgers win the World Series this year. You know, people argue all winter, does it count? You know, it was a 60-game season, you know. Mm-hmm. What if there were fans in the stadiums, whatever? It's only a 60-game season. You know, what if somebody else had a – you know, all that. They can argue about that all winter. They get the World Series hangover. And then next year, you know, it's a real season, 162 games, and Dodgers have World Series hangover. We come in, take the NL West, and go all the way. And we can do it in front of a packed house at Petco. I mean, how great does that sound? <laughs> well, that's 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 the way you'd like to draw it up, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and I do think that – and it seems like more people are starting to think that 2021 will be, you know, like it was before the pandemic. And I'm more confident now in that than I have been at any point. I mean, you see the numbers going down. We have a 38% drop in our seven-day average in the last 30 days. Mm-hmm. And we, our lowest 30 day average since the end of June are, I mean, on a website I use to track everything going on, I got, so it goes by week. It's a Sunday through Saturday is like the weekly measurement. The first two days of this week, so today and yesterday, it's 5.7% positive, And it's probably a lot lower because Colorado and Washington State are having issues reporting negative tests. So it's probably actually a lot lower than this even. 
especially because Colorado's positive percent was going way, way down. Um, and Washington State's was, you know, like 5%. So anyways, even with that, it's officially our lowest weekly since the middle of June. So you already see things are going in the right direction. I mean, a little bit of, you know, not full herd immunity, obviously, but, you know, you get enough. And even Scott Gottlieb's like, yeah, in a lot of places in this country, there's enough immunity kicking in that it slows the transmission rate down. You know, you're seeing this in, you know, Florida, Georgia, Arizona. I mentioned these three states specifically because, you know, but let's be honest, the behavior of people is not exactly changing in those three states, yet no. the numbers are still getting better, a lot better in Arizona's case. So I, I think, you know, if a vaccine comes out, you know, around New Year's, maybe just after the new year, then we'll be in good shape. But vaccines for these coronaviruses are not easy. I mean, we still haven't cured the common gold. And the flu vaccines are only, you know, 50 percent at best, usually. Well, I think the so. thing about common cold is like, how many are you really putting resources into a common cold? It's like how many people are like, oh, my God, I got the cold. I'm going to die. Like. <laughs> And, you know, everything, you know, looks pretty good to me with the vaccines from what I've seen. You know, remember back in, uh, I think it was May, Oxford and AstraZeneca said, well, no, you know, September, you know, and then October, we can get the first doses out to the U.S. and other countries. You know, Pfizer says, you know, we're going to be, we could know by October Moderna, which is the one Fauci and the NIH and and, uh, IAID are talking about are saying, you know, November, we'll probably know maybe December. And I was just I was just doing some research right before this, listening to what Scott Gottlieb was saying. And he was saying, you know, if, you know, it's really if it's, you know, 70, 80 percent effective, we'll know in October, you'll hear if it's only 50, 60 percent, you'll know in November. He seemed pretty confident either way that we'd get over 50 percent. And I was I've read that, you know, 50 percent is huge because that's just 50 percent preventing you from getting it like the other 50 percent like it might not prevent you from getting the virus but prevent you from getting sick from it so when when Gottlieb is looking at all this he's trying to figure out he's a basketball guy what when no, when Scott he, Gottlieb. oh so yeah I, well how do you think I mean what what's what's gonna happen with Aztec basketball or do you think they're gonna start after New Year's, if, if it all plays out the way you think it will? It's really hard to say, and you can you never know what the Mountain West is going to do. So, you know, maybe, you know, at the end of Padre season, when I come on, we'll have a lot better idea. So that's actually only in a month, you know, five weeks, yeah. you know, <laughs> we'll be at that point. So we'll have a lot better idea then, I think. I mean, we might even know, you know, about Oxford and AstraZeneca, that, uh, Oxford, AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca's vaccine, you know, by then, you know, so we'll have a lot better idea then. It's just, I have no idea right now. And I'll say this too. I am not shocked at all to see Aztec football um, cancel. I mean, I saw the members doing that as soon as, you know, the Mac and Pac-12 and Big Ten did. I mean, so that is not shocking at all to me. It's disappointing, but not surprised. Well, let's let's take a look at the calendar like a little bit closer to today. The trade deadline is for baseball is only about a week away. Right. So what do you think the Padres should be doing? What what do you think their strategy should be at the deadline? Again, and I'm going to talk again because of, you know, the covid revenue losses from this year. I just don't see anything happening at the deadline, much of anything from any team, because, 
you know, what if there's another outbreak and a guy opts out? You know, there's been no talk about reversing a trade. If you trade for a guy and he opts out, you know, what if there's another outbreak? The season gets stopped in mid-September, and then you get this guy for a playoff run, and then there is no playoff run. I just don't see anything happening at the trade deadline. But you were just talking about Lance Lynn going to the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers, you know, if if they, if they the season gets canceled, I mean, that's just – that's pocket change for the Dodgers. And like I said, they're expecting a normal 2021 and beyond anyway, so they saw what they gave Buki. So I don't think they're concerned about that. I think they're just thinking, get us a World Series. Unbelievable. What? Anyways, what I was saying, though, was that, you know, when you get – and the, the CDC director, who Trump has called an alarmist, you know, <laughs> and even he's saying, you know, that he's, he's been doing some interview. I didn't see the whole interview, but I saw a quote from him saying – you know, I'm hopeful that when we when I talk to you again in the spring that this is over. Mm. It was some interview, and you know, Fauci's boss. You know, I like I said last time, Dr. Francis Collins is saying something along the lines of, you know, by the spring, I think most Americans would have a chance to get a vaccine. You know, and then Moderna, the guy like running the trials for Moderna or something, was saying something like. Yeah, like by by March or April, we'll have enough for everybody. So, and by then, you know, I just think that you know you're going to see probably the first doses in you know November, December, you know, and you know that'll be healthcare workers, essential workers, um, and just any percent getting vaccinated is huge, especially you know with you know immunity kicking in, and you know that actually is real, despite what some people say. I'm going to have to rip some people for that before we get off here. <laughs> Um, but, you know, because, I mean, why, New York City would have had a, sec, a massive second wave already if that wasn't real. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, you know, and so, like, let's just say, you know, it gets to, you know, healthcare workers and essential workers. I mean, you know, again, this is the thing about the media. I'm going to have to rip them before we get off. But they report so much about, oh, look at this gathering where there was this many cases. You know how many cases are innocent from people, you know, like, an asymptomatic grocery store employee, an asymptomatic person working at, you know, a takeout food place, you know, they give it to them, the person, then they bring it home. And all of a sudden that's, you know, four or five cases. Let's say you give the vaccine to just the healthcare workers, essential workers, then they can't give it to those people, can't give it to those people. So mm-hmm. that, that, that cuts it down so much. And we're already seeing the numbers go down. So you could see, you know, we'll probably see a plateau in like the 30,000s, you know, in, throughout September and October. But then, you know, when you start getting that rolled out, it'll just plummet. And another thing is in Kansas, I talked about last time how in Philadelphia, they banned all large events through February. And their rationale for that was, well, that's when we think a vaccine will be here is, you know, end of February. Another interesting thing to me is. In Kansas City, their mayor extended their mask mandate to January 16th. And at the same time that was announced, their, like, health officer or something said, this isn't going away until, you know, we have a widely available vaccine. Yet they only extended the mask mandate into January. So they obviously think around then it should be widely available. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree with that because they're talking about Oxford, you know, being like a single dose, you're good to go. I mean, and the 100 million of those, that's a third population, you know. You get Pfizer and Moderna and then Novavax, which, you know, actually did work on one of these uh, on a cousin of the coronavirus where they scrapped the project because it just disappeared. So they're shooting for January, too. So I think by, you know, January, February, you know, the numbers will have gone down so much and you'll have plenty of people 
uh, vaccinated to the point where like this is just going to be over by like sometime in February, in my opinion. You know, I wonder if if there are any like sports betting agencies that have a over under on when the vaccine is going to come out. There's got to be a betting line on that. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I'd like to see. I don't sports bet, but I'd like to see what I don't I don't bet period, but I'd like to see what that is. I'm interested. Yeah. Because, I mean, especially on some of these bookmakers in England, you can vote on you can bet on the elections, the American elections. Yeah. Um, but I would be interested to see. I mean, there's, they've got to have a line on the covid virus because they have a betting line on just about everything. That'd be an interesting one to look up. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, too, like you can just like get the numbers low enough because like like I said, with the essential workers, you know, I mean, I guarantee you most of New York City's cases they're getting now is just because they're testing essential workers constantly because the number, the percent positive is super low. So I bet you it's just all the essential workers in New York City and, you know, maybe they infect, you know, some family members they get home to, you know. And, like, I'm sure you heard about that outbreak, you know, from a wedding in Maine. You know, what if the one person that started that was an essential worker who contracted it there? And what if, in just hypothetically, he was vaccinated and he could not infect the one person who infected that you know and on and on and on <laughs> could have been the whole thing and um what's interesting to me too is um the nba um there's talking about starting you know the next season you know after they finish up in the bubble finish the 1920 season adam silver was on record saying you know december 1st is a little early for me our number one goal is to get back in our home markets get back in our home arenas you know get back, get fans back in our arenas. And he's talking about January and February for that. And way back, you know, before we had all this advanced, you know, talk about a faster vaccine, you know, there were still owners that were saying, you know, by March, you know, we think we can have fans in arenas. And that was, you know, back before we thought we'd have a vaccine as fast as it looks like we're going to get to one. So if NBA is indoors, mind you, which is much easier to transmit the virus, you see all these science people now are saying, avoid indoor stuff but they don't really talk about outdoor stuff really when it comes to that and here's an example of outdoor stuff like remember when the marlins had their huge outbreak on their team and they played against the phillies in philadelphia with that huge outbreak Mm -hmm. no phillies players got infected from that remember the cardinals outbreak Mm -hmm. role player nope they they played the pirates in the minnesota twins for that no, no Pittsburgh players got it. No Minnesota players got it. You know, Nick Senzel was out there for um, Cincinnati, and apparently he hasn't now. They haven't officially said it, but all the evidence points to it being Nick Senzel was the Reds player that had it. I mean, no, no player, no team the Reds played before that got infected. And I mean, and I've seen a video, you know, Votto hit a walk-off. I forgot. I think it was against Kansas City. Votto hits a walk-off, and Senzel runs over to him, you know, hugs and picks him up. You know, Votto didn't test positive. So, I mean, you know, it's outdoors, you know, it just doesn't spread. So, you know, and you're – so anyways, what I'm saying is when you're talking about indoors, indoor gatherings, you're probably talking about, you know, more people than not are vaccinated or otherwise immune from having gone and recovered. You know, outdoor gatherings, you know, some people are immune – by vaccination some people are immune because they got and go over it and others you know they're just not going to get it from people game because it's outdoors and here's an example of this um first of all that wedding in maine which was indoors you know they said over half the cases 
were came came from just people at the wedding bringing it home. And it was like a 60-something person wedding. I, and I know this for a fact because it said it violated Maine's orders of no more than 50 people gathering indoors. Mm-hmm. So it, so if, you know, only 20-something people were infected actually at the wedding out of 60, you know, and that's indoors, you know, outdoors, that's a big difference. I mean, you're not going to – if I'm sitting, you know, in right field, I'm not going to become close to somewhere anywhere else, you know, in the second or third deck, you know. And – and the example of this is, you know, I've gone to crowded Padre games and seen people that I know, see on their social media, they are at the game, and I had no clue. I had no clue until after the game. So you're not going to – there's just so few people you can actually infect outdoors, you know, that if the numbers are low enough and even any percent of people that's measurable is immune, you're going to be fine outdoors. So should the Aztec basketball team – start their season at Petco Park. Maybe oh, no. We want to avoid that, that oh, situation. My God. Do not bring up the 2015 game against USD. That was so ugly. That was awful. Um, and remember the Syracuse game on the midway, you know, they yeah. shot horribly. They shot so many air balls because it was windy, you know. The sun's in your eyes, the whole thing. So I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great idea for, like, marketing, but in terms of actually playing basketball, it's, it's a terrible idea, and it makes for a really ugly basketball. Right. Um, yeah, wow. So long story short is I think, you know, like I said, by the amount of people getting and recovering already, you know, the people that are going to get vaccinated, which should be nearly everybody by the time, you know, baseball season starts, you know, by the time we're – planning spring training trips and planning, you know, taking off work from a day or whatever, we should be just like it was before. I mean, I don't buy into any of this fear mongering. And some of these people have the worst agendas. I'm going to have to rip some of these guys. Like it's just so bad. All these people with their agendas, these newspapers that are just like taking everything as a negative. The Washington post is the worst one for this. I mean, they go from saying, you know, at the beginning of this, oh, it's going to take 12 to 18 months for a vaccine. That's what Fauci said. Can't be any faster than that, you know. And then in May, Fauci's like, you know, we could have one by the end of the year. They're like, oh, this is so irresponsible of Fauci to say that. People didn't buy that. And then they're like, oh, it's not safe. You know, how this is a rush. How can people think that? And then th- that didn't work. So then they're like, oh, this is we're still going to ha- – we're not going to eradicate this. It's like, first of all, which nobody's going for eradication except for one guy who I'm going to have to get into before we finish this off. It's like <laughs> – it's just like you guys have – just want people to be scared and you want people to think we're never going back to the way it was before. And it's 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 BS and it's it, – it sells ratings for a while, but afterwards people get pretty tired of it. I'm pretty tired of it. I'm telling you that. Well, it's definitely politicized. I mean – and. And I hate that. It shouldn't be politicized at all, but it is. And I'm going to get into another guy who politicizes it later. It is just, it's nonsense. It's absolute (laughs) nonsense. Tell us how you really feel, David. I mean, and another thing is like, and honestly, this is why a lot of people don't like Fauci, even though they should. Like, I like Fauci. I trust him. But a lot of people don't like Fauci for this reason. Because the media portrays him out to be this no-fun old man who never wants us to go back by the things that he says. Like, there was a headline on Bloomberg saying something like, saying something along the lines of, oh, well, Fauci thinks it'll take a while for life to go back normal, even with a vaccine. The only thing he said was, the lady asked him, you know, how long do we just rip off the mask as soon as we get the vaccine? And he's like, well, that's a good question. And it depends on a couple of things. And the article made it sound like the guy was like, 
oh, well, even after the vaccine, it's not going to be normal for forever. When the only thing he said was, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting a little fired up here. The only thing he said was, it depends on how, on the efficacy of the vaccine, which I think is going to be pretty good based off what a lot of people are saying. And it, um, and that, you know, it's not, you know, it's approved, good to go. Cause you know, obviously people still have to take it, which that should just be logic. It's not like, cause I think we're, you know, six to eight weeks from finding out, you know, if multiple of these vaccines work, but this isn't going to be over in six to eight weeks. I mean, that's just logic. And people are making it out to say like, another thing is like, they're talking about, you know, they're saying, you know, Fauci, people don't need to need to realize with Fauci is that when he talks, you know, timelines for vaccines, he's only talking about Moderna and maybe Pfizer. He's not, he said before, there's other ones that are ahead. There's other ones that are behind. I mean, he only said that once. So someone missed that. I don't blame them. But to me, it's obvious that he's only talking about those two usually. And a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, that one's not as bad, but I do blame the media for the way that they portray some of the things that Fauci says, and they make it look like Fauci's the bad guy all the time. And it's just stupid. I, I, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's politicized. I mean, it's politicized. Like, yeah, there's it this. Has a, like, it has, a, it has a lot to do with, you know, Trump and never Trump. And it has a lot to do with um, fear and, um, yeah, so it's it's definitely. I just wish the science would be the science. And I know but it's scientists like, take care of it, and let's just deal with it factually rather than all the hysteria and emotion and politicization. Like the ABC World News did that um, just tonight. They were like, "Oh, some guy in Hong Kong got reinfected." Like this is. I mean, it's only one case, but it's like. First of all, the guy was – I did my research because I don't listen to fear mongers. I do the research. I researched it. The guy didn't even have any symptoms. And what was I just saying like 10 minutes ago that they're thinking that even if – when the vaccine comes, like worst case scenario, you're not going to get sick. And so isn't that what the antibodies did? They prevented him from getting sick when we got it again. I mean <laughs> – plus it could have been a false positive and – I mean, how many million people have gotten this uh, this um, virus around the world? 15, 16 million people? How many is it now? It's it's way too many. Like, believe me, it's way too many. It's a horrible number. But how many people have gotten it now? I don't know. 14, 15, 16 million? Sounds about right. I mean, how many of those people are, you know, immune now? I mean, like, where? why don't they ever talk about, in May, the mayor of that city in New Jersey that tested positive for antibody going back to November. Why doesn't the media ever talk about that? There's antibody tests from this summer from New York City from January. Like, (laughs) and where's the media on that? Well, yeah, I mean, the media is going to want to, you know, stir the pot. They're going to want to make it, they're going to sensationalize it. So they can get more more eyeballs, more ratings, and more revenue. Um, they're probably not going to go seek out, you know, the cases where it's being resolved because no, of that not. creates that's calm that's waters, and they want they want rough seas. Um, but again, I just wish the science would be the science. Oh, I do too. Um, but you know, it's so politicized. It's so stupid. I mean, 
Well, I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, if, if your predictions are right, you know, we can have a pretty normal 2021. Oh, I think um, we definitely will. And that was the whole point of this. I know this got way off from sports, but the whole point of this was, <laughs> you know, by 2021, you know, we should be, you know, back in Petco Park again. You know, we won't have to yeah. we won't be sitting here, you know, August of next year debating if we're going to have a 2021-22 basketball season. You know, mm-hmm. this time next year, we're going to be you know preparing for the Aztecs kicking off the final season at Qualcomm that's that was the point of all this that was the point of that rant is that don't listen to those fools that was the whole point of what I said is don't listen to those fools you know 2021 is going to be great then that's when our Padres is going to be a real championship contender when things are back to normal in 2021 and that was the whole point of that rant I mean just be like, don't listen to them. 2021 is going to be back normal. It's going to be great. That was the whole point of what I said. Well, I hear you. I, I hear you. And I, I do agree that the Padre trajectory is fantastic. 2021 and 2021 will be a great year for the team. Uh, but as far as the virus and everything is concerned, I figure I can only control what I can control. And so we'll let it play out and let's hope for the best. But my expectations, I'm keeping them in check. Um because it, it could always go sideways again for reasons that maybe we do or do not understand. I mean, um, I would say like a worst case scenario is, you know, a situation where like, you know, you have like 40 percent capacity in stadiums next year. I mean, but that's an absolute worst case scenario. I think I think the science is figuring this thing out like well before baseball season next year. I mean, it kind of already is. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's, let's let's get back to sports. Um, okay, yeah, I like I like that idea. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, we, there's enough people talking about COVID, you know, uh, and other places, and so what else you got? I mean, I knew you came to this podcast. I knew you had a lot of notes, a lot of bullet points. You were ready to go. What haven't we covered um, from your original agenda? I think we got everything. I think so too. What's going to happen with the NFL? When do you think that's going to start up? I mean, they're going to give it a go, but I mean, that's just like, they can't, they can't test these guys every day. I mean, it only takes one guy to sneak in there with a false positive or a guy to, you know, test before the incubation period. And then he spreads it, you know, a lineman spreads it to lineman on the other team who spread it to linebackers. And then they spread it on the sideline. It, it only takes one of those to, you know, shut down the whole NFL season. And I don't know how long they're going to make it. Probably not very long is my guess, but Hey, we'll yeah. see. And they're going to give it a go. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I don't have confidence that it's going to, if it'll start, it'll probably stop. The, all the college ball is, is turned off. So I, the NFL is likely going to suffer the same fate. Um, hey, NBA playoffs. What do you think? Luca and the Mavs looking pretty good against Kawhi and the Clippers, huh? I mean, I mean, it was like that Luca shot he made over Kawhi was like, the one that um, Merrill made over KJ in the Mel West Championship game. Yeah, yes, exactly. So he got Kawhi got Merrill. I mean, that sucked. Oh, that, yeah, that was, that was awful. So that series is tied, right? Yeah, it's, it two, now, two. it's two two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so best of three right now, right? So, I mean, you know, best of three. You know, neutral court. Obviously, fans are an impact, and you know, better team. I'll, I'll still take the Clippers. You know, yeah, in a, three, in a best of three there to move on. Well, I, I, you know, I've got a bet with Dennis over at Postal Annex in Poway. And so he's got the Lakers. I've got the Clippers. And so we need them to meet in the Western Conference Championship 
to activate our bet. So um, I'm definitely. I, I, I think that's got a pretty good chance. That's a per, got a pretty solid chance of happening. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's got well I don't over 50%. See, I certainly don't see the Rockets being the Lakers. I mean, and that's the thing that I want to say about the Houston Rockets. I hate the style of basketball they play. I mean, <laughs> remember against Golden State in the Western Conference Finals in Game 7? They missed like 27 threes in a row two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that? I do. They play the most unwatchable style of basketball James Harden scores 35 points shooting like six for 24 while shooting 20 free throws because he flops for a foul every time. It is the most unwatchable basketball ever. I cannot stand watching the Rockets play. And James Harden always chokes anyway. So there's no way Houston will beat the Lakers. And I don't see how Utah would beat the Clippers. I just don't. Right. So I think think they got Denver beat, you know, in that series. So it's it's going to come down to you know get the Clippers getting past the Mavs and uh, Luca is going to have to come back to earth a little bit and I think if he does and I think yeah L A should win that series. Um, it's funny that you're talking about the Houston Rockets and every time I think of the Rockets I think of the Twin Towers. Um, who was it back then? It was Ralph Sampson and Akeem that were on the team together. So when they won those titles in the nineties, yeah. And you can roll the clock back even earlier to Moses Malone. Um, so, you know, the Rockets have had a great history. That's another former San Diego team, too. Not yeah. Not or anything. <laughs> it was funny because when the Clippers blew that 3-1 lead in the Western Semis in 2015, it's like, well, you can take them out of San Diego, but you can't take the San Diego out of them. That was against the Rockets, who also used to be a San Diego team. So uh, I oh guess man. the Clippers just out San Diego, the Rockets. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, all good. So, who, who are the Padres? They, they're going to be playing the Mariners, right? For the next, yeah, that's of not a very good team at all. Okay, and then who do they got after the Mariners? Uh, they go to Denver, Coors Field, Rockies. Okay, and the Rockies have been on a losing streak. Yeah, they um, were winning they're... against Arizona before I hopped on here. I don't know if they still are. Um, I'll just check that. It was three-two, I believe, Colorado in like the fifth inning at Chase Field. And then, and then uh, probably after that, it'll be Oakland, right? It's the Angels for two, and then Oakland. Okay. Angels so, have looked terrible. Like, I don't know what – I thought they were going to be, you know, kind of good. I mean, I know Rendon's been kind of banged up, but I, – I, I noticed on Twitter that Justin Upton was trending, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was – everyone was outraged. They were saying that they should DFA him. He's hitting under 100 the last time I checked. It was like oh, oh, oh nine something. See, see, Justin Upton was a guy, you know, and we saw Justin Upton here in San Diego for a year. We so we know Justin Upton's a guy that, you know, he's gonna, you know, be really hot or really cold for us in a season like this because he's just a streaky player. So I knew Justin Upton was either gonna be really great or really awful in these sixty games, and it looks like the really awful one showed up. But it seems like Rendon is playing pretty well for the Angels. Yeah, he was kind of banged up in the beginning. He's missed some games here and there. But, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. I mean, it seems so. I don't know what the Angels' problem is. I mean, their starting pitching's not good, but it's not completely awful. I don't know why their record's so bad, but they just seem like they can't win. I don't get it. 
Well, the good news for the Padres is that they're going to play an easy Mariners team, a Rockies team that's on the downslope. Then they get the Angels, so they could have a big head of steam going into that Oakland series. Yeah, and they're going to need it because the way Oakland's playing, they're especially tough at the Coliseum. So, Yeah, I agree. Well, all good. Well, David, thanks for joining me here. You know, we've been going at it about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, got a couple of messages here from, uh, how do I say his name? Uh, Jaron Molenpa. Yeah, a guy on the highway with. Yeah, right on. Great stuff, guys. He he responded. Uh, Noah Pierre said hello. Um, and then Pete Neal, a, a friend of the podcast, uh, got in early and said that the audio and video quality was great. So Excellent. I, Nice to get some feedback in the live stream. Um, so, David, let's let's get back together um, as we get near the end of the season, getting approaching the playoffs, kind of have a better idea of what the future for the Padres looks like, and we can kind of take another look at the team. How's that sound? Oh, it sounds good. I mean, and like I was saying earlier, you know, we'll have a better idea. You know, we should have – Probably not next time I come on because that'll probably be, you know, towards the end of the regular season. You know, that's probably September. But, you know, as we get into the off season, you know, we'll have a – we'll have – we should have that – you know, as I come on, you know, in the off season, we should have that confirmation that, like, hey, things are good to go. See you at Petco Park in 2021. Yeah. That's probably two times away, though. We'll, like, we'll probably know more about that in November, October-ish. But next time I come on – yeah, we'll probably be looking at Padres in the postseason, which hasn't happened since 2006. So keep it up, Pods. I want to see that. Yeah. Break the curse. Even just getting in the playoffs would be a great step forward. I mean, getting in the playoffs is a complete victory for this season. Because like I said, you know, it's almost better if we wait to win our championship so, you know, we can do it while Pack and Pet go park, you know. But just mm-hmm. making the playoffs this year is huge considering where we've been the last 10 years. Oh, no doubt about it. And uh, I'm, I'm enthused. You know, they're, they're playing 600 ball right now. Keep that up for the rest of the season. They're going to be. I know. That's team. great. Yeah. Probably not sustainable, but, you know, they're going to be good enough that they could finish second in the division and get the four seed, which is perfect. Well, I'm going to enjoy the ride. Um, oh, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. what else have we got to enjoy right now? All good. So, David, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having um, me. And uh, we'll get this podcast uh, posted up on the audio-only platforms probably by tomorrow sometime. All right. um, Sounds good. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you later. Thank you.